Hello, uh, and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, JP, and I'm here with Father Chuck. <laughs> and, working, but... and if you are listening to this, uh, we're, we're a good week into October, so it's the spooky season. Yes, and by the time this airs, I will be 39, by the way. Oh, no. I mean, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I'm 38. Well, I, you know, I, I, I'm okay with it, right? Like, they're, 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 the same thing happened to me, like, when I was approaching 30. Like, you, ha I always had this, I had this anxiety when I was, like, 29. And when I turned 30, I was like, nothing happened. I just turned, <laughs> other than just, I turned 30. Right. I just, as I'm nearing 40, I just think about, I remember, like, when my aunt turned 40 then my mom turned 40 and it was just like I, I you know I was how old was I I was I was you know 10 or something I don't remember but um I just remember it, you know like looking at my, my my mom you know she had a career right she just was such a like adult right and I look at myself and I'm just like I'm just I just don't feel like I'm an adult is it because of this <laughs> podcast to be honest kids and, no I think it's uh I don't know. I mean, and I, I talked to my mom. I'm sure my mom would be like, I didn't really feel like an adult either, you know, because, yeah. you know, she's she's still a good kid at heart. So I don't know. But it's just it's just such an interesting thing when you're on the other side of it, because when you're little and you look at someone, and you're like four, like 40, like, wow, like, you know, midlife. I don't know. It does kind of make you think about things. Though. I feel like, you know, going into 40, I should probably, you know, I, I reevaluate things like I should probably not get mad at people for not liking a star Wars movie, you know, like, right. No, no, no. Get mad at, <laughs> get mad at people for letting their dogs poop in your lawn. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the real things it's now is the time to start being, um, both angry and afraid of the youth. Yes. Yeah. And, and like, we've already talked about this, right. Get, getting into like world war two history Right. <laughs> is an important thing at this point. Yeah. What's blowing start, me away is... We should start watching historical uh, epics and documentaries, right? About Scottish clans or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, I, yeah, I'm like at that point where like I, the only movies I should be watching are like Shawshank Redemption and <laughs> Glad Braveheart. You, Braveheart. Yeah, definitely Braveheart. Definitely. Yes. Right. In in Halloween spirit though, I just want to bring up I uh, I'm we're, we're, I'm trying to put together I'm start, you know my boys are at, at an age now where they can start appreciating stuff and I really want them to kind of start getting into some spooky scary stuff like because like you know they, and they're they're really like you'll you'll be proud JP yeah Charlie has been my oldest son has been just begging begging to decorate the house for Halloween Sick. he ran upstairs. He built a zombie arm out of Lego as like a decoration, nice. and we dug out the old, we dug out the fake cobwebs and put them all over the front, and we put the spiders out and all this kind of stuff. He wants, you know, he's wanting jack o' lanterns, all this. And I said, "All right, guys," I said, "That, that, that it's right. We're gonna have to start watching spooky movies. You're ready for them." <laughs> so I've told them we're gonna watch. We're, we, one of the things we have on the on the on the menu is the Nightmare Before Christmas, which I have not seen since I was like ten. Cool. And, um, and. Uh, but we we kicked it off the other night by watching the adventures of Ichabod, of, uh, of Ichabod and, and Mr. Toad, um, which I, I, I don't care about the Mr. Toad story. No, it no, is no. all about the Disney version of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Yes. And so the boys got to experience that, which I will say as a kid, 
I remember that Disney Channel would often play just the Headless Horseman encounter, the little like just like the last five minutes of that short. Yeah, I remember. Um, I don't know that I actually saw everything leading up to it. It was way more boring than I than I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I actually I watched. Last year, I just did like a marathon for Halloween. I woke up and I just started watching movies and I did nothing except for that. Well, except for posting my review for uh, The Burbs, which was fun. The Burbs. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, one of the movies I watched was Ichabod and uh, uh, the the M- Mr. Toad or whatever. Yeah. And I remember being like, ooh, this this Mr. Toad thing sucks. Like, this isn't, this isn't <laughs> good. This is not. It is fun. not. Um, it's definitely riding the back of Sleepy Hollow, which is one that we all want to watch, right? Um, and so, and it got to that. I'm like, this still kind of sucks. <laughs> like, I'm not having a great time. Um, but yeah. it's like, yeah, I think, I think you know, when we were growing up on the Disney Channel, they showed like truncated cartoons, and I right. think they just showed like the you know the the part we all care about, Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Right, which is you know it's good and spooky. Like the end is great. I mean, the animation is great. It's spooky. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's actually kind of scary, um, right? And that's the part that seems to actually resonate more with Irving's original story rather than. I mean, I know you got to set the context up, I guess, but like they spend way too much time on Ichabod and and Bones trying to like romance this Katrina, yeah, and. And it just seems like it was more of an excuse to let Bing Crosby go boo 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 for like yeah, forty minutes. Listen, when you got when you got Bing Crosby for a few days, you got to get the most out of him, right? Yeah, and you got to you got to put those animators to work. You know, don't let them go home. That's they got to right. work around the clock. They got to sleep under their under their under their drafting tables. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. But that leads us, of course, we're, we're talking Halloween, right? And yeah. we're going to talk today about a side of Halloween that doesn't get nearly the attention that it needs. Yeah, I, f- I feel like there was maybe a time where it was sort of synonymous with Halloween, these mm-hmm. types of movies in this genre. Um, but as we've rolled along and, you know, the horror genre has grown, kind of really sort of outdated, I guess, by now. But it's not without its charms. And, you know, since we are approaching 40, we, we've come to appreciate these things <laughs> now. Yes. And um, I just remember, dude, like, I always, anytime I approach this genre, I always remember, and I know you do too, uh, going to the sci-fi dine-in theater at Hollywood Studios, formerly yes. MGM Studios, um, which is probably the greatest theme restaurant uh, I've ever been to. Um, which is, you know, it's, it's a, it's a diner, but it's made to look like you're at a drive-in theater. It's so good. Yeah. So you ha- you're sitting in a car with a windshield and they got a big movie screen out front and they just show just like a playlist of all of the sci-fi B, the sci-fi B picture, uh, horror movies of the day. And it's just, it's a blast. Well, it's just trailers of them. It's yeah, trailers, trailers of right, them. Right, right, trailers. Yeah. 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 And it's all kinds of like I I I they they show clips from like or they show the trailer for like the Rod, Roger Corman's Robot Monster, which is his first film, which is just like a guy in a bear suit with like a robot head, yeah, <laughs> or a gorilla suit. They have changed the playlist a little bit now that it's not MGM. I think like anything that was owned by MGM now is not 
like on the table. Which so. is funny because I'm sure most of that stuff is in public domain. <laughs> Maybe. I just remember when, because we went not too long ago with the boys. I mean, not too long ago, like three or four years ago. And I remember, I remember a lot more Gamera. Oh, really? <laughs> then, um, and because uh, I thought I remember seeing like Godzilla trailers and stuff when I, in there when I was a kid. But it was, yeah, it was, I don't know. I felt like the the movies they were showing were not as fun, you know. Huh. But still, bad. like, you know, you get you get your you know you get your War of the Worlds, you get your Day the Earth Stood Still, you get all that stuff. So. Asian of the Body Snatchers, mm-hmm. giant, the giant. Blob, the original Blob. Yeah. Um. So we're just gonna I don't know we're just gonna talk about this uh, particular era. What are we gonna call it? I I, I go with Atomic B movie. Or yeah. Atomic Age sci-fi horror. Yeah, Atomic Age sci-fi horror, and they are all pretty much considered uh, by Joe Bob Briggs standard uh, driving movies. So right, uh, and there's also the I know some people also refer to them. I know there's there's an aesthetic out there now that is called uh, ray gun gothic. Yeah, you've that mentioned draws that a from few this times. time period. Yeah, yeah, I've never heard of that. I've only I've only heard you talk about it, <laughs> um, but that's oh. interesting. I mean, uh, you know, one of the uh, one of the paragons of the Raygun Gothic aesthetic is, of course, Power Man Five Thousand, the esteemed, <laughs> the esteemed metal band. Metal. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like he falls into that what it was called like shock rock at the time, right? I guess, right? It's Rob Zombie's brother, and yeah. which is kind of interesting because right? Rob Zombie is, you know, he's definitely a drive-in movie, monster movie themed kind of guy, right? But more oh, yeah. like. You're you're traditional. You're more like, you know, you're more like, you know, uh, hammer horror. You're, you're. Uh, he, um, I mean, he, he's, he's like, he's all over the place. He loves it all, dude. Like it's, it's, it's right. all of it. Yeah. He's sort of like the monster mash, right? But then his brother yeah. comes out with, Nah, man, we're gonna do, we're gonna basically take what Rob Zombie's doing, but we're just gonna make it all sci-fi. Which that <laughs> appealed to me when I was a kid. I was like, this is cool, but it's just not that good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, his one of his one of his songs is called when worlds collide which is a yes one of those movies that was like their only that was like like their only single i think uh there was that and then there was um what was the name of uh i remember the video it started with a kid wearing this helmet and it had like lights on it that flashed like a beep boop beep boop beep boop um i forgot I sorry, I'm not. That's right. I'm not on the up and up of my Power Man five thousand trivia. Sorry, you know, <laughs> kind of a blank spot. Yeah, you're much more of a you know, you know, slam in the back of my Dragula kind of yeah, guy. Yeah, I, I I've slammed into so into the backs of so many Dragulas, <laughs> um, for many years. And did you know he's uh, Rob Zombie's directing uh, the uh, the Monsters movie? Okay. Yeah, he's 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 making a Monsters movie. So. It's interesting how I guess I guess uh, poor Tim Burton is uh, <laughs> they're not they're not going for him anymore. Man, I don't know. I, I don't think Munsters is really Tim Burton's. I mean, I guess it could be. He's, he's probably more of an Adams Family kind of guy. Yeah, which Munsters were kind of like they're kind of right in the coattails of Adams Family a little bit, right? Oh yeah, they were they were they were totally the yeah, yeah. they were the Power Man five thousand of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, a um, sci-fi family. I'm gonna make a note of that. Oh, there you go. Oh, it's Futurama, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, okay, so let's talk about this now, Chuck. Why? Why are you 
so fascinated with this. And I, I know it's like if you had to kind of separate the two of us, I'm very much the horror guy and you're mm-hmm. very much the mm-hmm. sci-fi guy. Yes. What is it about this particular era and this particular corner of cinema that uh, that you dig so much? So when I grew up, my mom, you know, she very much got hit by the nostalgia wave of the of the of the early to mid 80s. And my mother, in case anyone here does not know, and I think it'd be hilarious to have her on the podcast to talk about this, by the way, <laughs> is like die hard Barbie collector. <laughs> I mean, like doll collector in general, but Barbie is her thing. And like, and I, 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 I have a pretty good working knowledge of early Barbies. Anyway, so the result of this was back in the back in the you know mid '80s or in stuff, right? To to acquire Barbies as a collector, you had to go to collectible shops. You had to go to collectible shows that were in you know hotel lobbies. You had to go to people's houses. They put they post up in the classifieds to say they had their collection that they wanted to go through or whatever. And given the fact that I'm an only child of a single mom, this is what I did with my weekends is my mom took me to collectible shows, collectible shops, flea markets, garage sales, all of this. So I, you know, the, the stuff that was impactful to me early on was basically seeing stuff that my mom grew up with being sold secondhand or like stuff from the seventies that people are getting out of the garages, which is one of the reasons why I love seventies graphic design, but, um, like you do, but so I think part of it for me is that, you know, while my mom is looking at Barbies, like I'm trying to entertain myself and I'm walking around and the stuff that just sort of got grabbed my attention, you know, were, you know, tin flying saucers and, you know, stuff with Googie, you know what Googie is? Yeah, it's a sort of architectural style, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like Googie architecture and Googie design, you know, in like 50s diners and stuff like, you know, because like also Florida had Angels. You remember Angels Diner? It was that like 50s diner. No. There was like a chain of them. They were in Orlando. Anyway, you know, part of it is just sort of, I don't know. I just like Mm -hmm. sci-fi. I think maybe I'm just sort of predisposed to it. But also while walking around these toy shows and collectible shops and stuff like this is just what was being sold a lot of the times. And so this was the stuff that I saw and it, 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 uh, it intrigued me. And I, you know, so I ended up wanting to get to know more about it. I remember years later we had MGM and over by Indiana Jones stunt spectacular, which you know a thing or two about. Yeah, um, there. In the India in the gift shop, I remember they had they had like weird like collectible books and stuff. I don't remember. Anyway, one of the things they had was a sci-fi toy collector's guide, and I bought it. And I used to pour over that thing. I would just sit there on the floor of my room and just read this thing over and over, and just look at all of these. You know, this is how I learned about Dune. Um, because it had like stuff for David Lynch Dune movie, like the sandworm toys and stuff, which I thought were really fascinating and, um, you know, but like, you know, so I was, you know, looking at all these old fifties sci-fi things, it was just sort of like, I knew about them through like the marketing materials or whatever. And then, you know, of course you go to the sci-fi drive-in diner and you see some of the same things on the screen and, you know, just, uh, yeah, I just, you know, it just sort of was part of the milieu in which I found myself in my childhood and, you know, wanting to know more about it and just sort of, you know, I mean, spaceships are cool, man. And, yeah. you know, you, you and, you know, like, I mean, just looking at your your background image, you know, from um, this island Earth, the 
like i mean just the the cool like curves right it looks like you know like tomorrowland had these you know at disney had the same kind of aesthetic early on right and so i don't know it just it just captured my imagination as a child and so i've just always been more of a sci-fi person and like the tech like all that kind of stuff so okay um yeah kind of long answer sorry that's cool it's kind of funny you bring up the uh sci-fi toy collectors magazine because i'm pretty sure that's how i got into star wars when i was a kid i think i oh, saw yeah. a, a very similar magazine like in a drugstore <clears throat> and it had like star like old star wars toys on the cover and i remember just like picking it up and just kind of thumbing through it and they had lists of every single star wars toy in existence and i remember just thinking like that's a lot of Star Wars toys. Like I didn't know that there could be so many toys for like one thing. <laughs> and that sort of kind of grabbed me about that. I was like, Oh, it's like Star Wars is like a whole world you can get into, you know? And right. I remember, right. I, had, and I, remember I, I told my mom to buying the magazine for me. I mean, I just spent hours just like reading like all the different tie fighters, all the different types of X wing, Y wing, B wing, all the characters you know, and just being like, that's how, that's what grabbed me into kind of becoming a Star Wars obsessive at a young age. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was already in a Star Wars by that point, you know, so that's, you know, but that's actually, that's that book that, that, that I wish I could find it um, again. But um, that's where I learned about my Holy Grail toy, which is I have one Holy Grail toy, which is the 1979 Kenner alien action figure. Okay. The big one. Yeah. And the big that's chat. my Holy Grail toy. The, the big chap. I want it so bad. I wish, I don't care if Kenner remade it. I'd buy it. I just, I, I, I have wanted that toy since I was old enough to know what alien was. What are, are there any particular movies that you like that you kind of, you sort of go to just kind well, of scratch that itch. I think part of my entry point into this though was Godzilla. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I got into Godzilla by way of being into dinosaurs as a kid. And, you know, so my mom like, you know, went to like some bargain bin and was just like, Oh, it was a dinosaur movie. Right. And, uh, and I remember watching Congress Godzilla and crying that Godzilla lost and <laughs> Godzilla versus sea monster. And then of course my absolute, the one that just touched my heart deeply and still does, which is a very 60, 70 sci-fi film, which is, um, which is called the terror of Mecha Godzilla, which has Godzilla fighting Mecha Godzilla and Titanosaurus. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite of the original, it was actually the last of the original run of Godzilla movies, um, okay. 1975 anyway. So, so, you know, Godzilla was sort of a, a back, a back doorway into this for me. Um, but my, and I want to talk a little bit about Godzilla cause I think especially the original Godzilla film from 1954, because I think it, it's a, it's an important movie because it, the tropes of what we're talking about and, and the themes of what's going on in this era and this genre, you know, seeing it from a Japanese perspective hmm. is a very important conversation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I and of course, I also watch a lot of like, you know, Sunday afternoon TV. So like, in you know, these reruns of these old movies would, would be on pretty frequently. Right. So like the movies that I think of when I think of this genre, I think of, of course, which I know through um only through Mystery Science Theater 2000, of course, which I watch a lot of that too. Right. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Is uh, you know, This Island Earth. Yes. Um, uh, the Incredible Shrinking Man. Yes. Um, yes. which is actually scary. Um, the uh, the the 50s um, War of the Worlds, which is a great movie and also kind of scary. And um, I love um, the Day the Earth Stood Still. That's a very um, good film. 
um, the like the original Lost in Space show. I caught a few reruns of that back in the day. Um, right, anything with Roby the robot. Yeah, it's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, God, he's you know, so like those are like, yeah, yeah, those are my go to. Those are like my go to movies. Okay. Um, I think I think the I think the fifties War of the Worlds might be borderline perfection. I haven't watched that um, movie in years, but I still remember um, the end where the characters are holed up in a church, just kind of waiting mm-hmm. for it to be over because there's no way to defeat these things. And then one of them crashes outside and they go outside and the hand just yeah. falls out. And just being like thoroughly creeped out by that, just just that one arm, because it, it just looked so, ugh. so so right. good at being and, otherworldly, you know. Well, right, and that's and if I if I remember correctly, right, you don't really get to see the aliens. No, I don't think you see them at all. There might be one. There might be one scene where one is out because they have sort of like a weird like triangular head and like this woman screams, but I you never really get a good look at them, right? Because you see the ships. Yeah. Um. But, um, yeah, no, it's the, the, the ship design is just such a good movie. Yeah. And what's funny is that the time when I was a kid, when, when we were that age, there was a war of the worlds TV series that was popular. And, oh yeah, it was freaking terrifying. And I, I, I never actually watched an episode, but yeah, that's what you I, but I'd see it's plenty of commercials where like you see like the, like an animation of the earth and like the hand, three fingered hand. Yeah, like I said, that three-fingered hand freaked me out enough coming out of that spaceship. Now it's like grabbing the Earth. Creepy. Uh, The World of Worlds TV show, I I never watched it, but like the commercials would creep me out because they would show like that thing would come out of people's chests and stuff. Ah, (laughs) not cool, man. And uh, like in my head, I I confused that show with Alien Nation. Um, (laughs) Do you remember that? Yeah. But um, I – one other movie though that in that it's not from the era, but to me it just it's a go-to in my head because it's such a beautiful homage to that era is of course Tim Burton's Mars Attacks. Yes. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's funny. I when I saw, I saw that movie when I was a kid, and I didn't know how to process it because I went into <laughs> it thinking like it was going to be a funny Independence Day, right? And like uh-huh. I wasn't wrong, but it was like a dark kind of funny <laughs> and like i didn't know i was like am i supposed to laugh at this this is like everyone's dying and it was like a star-studded <laughs> cast like michael j fox yeah. gets killed right away and i'm like i didn't want to see that <laughs> <laughs> but i had known about the top trading card series so i knew that it was yeah. kind of like in the garbage pail kids yeah you know kind of i knew that yeah, too but like I thought he was spoofing them because I was familiar with them and they were like terrifying that those cards. Right. And I wasn't like ex- actually expecting the cards to be like the real thing, but like yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I just I when the part where I got on board with the movie was when the guy's translator is going, Please don't run. We are your friends <laughs> as they're killing everyone. And then I'm like, okay, now I I get what this movie is all about. Yeah. Um when he bites off, uh, is it whose fingers is he? It's uh, Martin Short's fingers. They bite off, right? Yeah, yeah. Spits him in the aquarium. <laughs> right, <laughs> he's so messed up. I mean, just like character, like big stars being introduced and then just Jack killed. Nicholson plays like five people in that movie. <laughs> yeah, that was another thing. Like, I love, like, I, I've, I've grown up like just loving Jack Nicholson. Oh, of course. And so seeing that, I was just like, kill Jack. 
can't do that. <laughs> and the thing is, it's, it's just in terms of like Tim Burton's filmography. Yeah, that's his good sci-fi film. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't think Planet of the Apes is good? You don't? Think... <laughs> I was gonna say like I, I should have said his only sci-fi film. Um, <laughs> but I had such high hopes for I had such high hopes for him doing Planet of the Apes. I did too, dude. I did too. Um, so All right, we're getting off subject here. That's but. fine. Yeah, but Mars Attacks, that's a great movie. Um, any other one, any other movies you like? I mean, those are the ones that just, that I think like we, yeah, Day of the Earth Stood Still, right? Right. That's a great movie. For me, it's definitely like Jack, the Jack Arnold films. Okay. Uh, who was director at that time. And he was the one who was responsible for, he directed, uh, It Came From Outer Space. Okay. Uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, Tarantula, and The Incredible Shrinking Man. I think are. Oh, most, dude! I you know I didn't even knock about. I didn't think about Tarantula and like those kinds of. I remember like being a kid and like sometimes like in the middle, you know, like afternoon, Saturday, Sunday afternoon movies. You know, there would be like these these old horror films of like, and they always involved like bugs. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, giant bugs giant or like lizards. just swarms of tarantulas. Yeah, you know, giant. Ant oh, movies. you didn't mention them. Them. That's the one with all the tarantulas, right? Them is the one with all the ants. Giant ants. Oh, the ants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, I watched a couple years ago. Really good. Yeah. Like, and also feels very much like Aliens. Like, Cameron was definitely drawing, I think, from that movie when he made Aliens. I'm sure. Right? I mean, he started his career with Corman, so it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Jack Arnold movies, you know, he directed The Incredible Shrinking Man. I haven't seen it in so, so, so long. But I want to revisit it. Um, but it is has gotten some notoriety because it's recently been uh, re-released on on physical media. Uh, do you, do you know who put that out, Chuck? Criterion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> In uh, case listeners don't know, there is uh, JP and I had this running joke of how many movies get released before uh, Criterion version of Lost in Translation, <laughs> and which so deserves a Criterion release. And I just I I I, I realized that I, I've given up all hope when Godzilla's Revenge <laughs> got a Criterion release before. I mean, I'm Lost still kind of reeling that. Um, and as much as I love the movie, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, I don't know that it really warrants a Criterion release, no, but that's a movie. I when I finally watched it, I was like, "Man, there's a lot of hype behind this movie." <laughs> I think it's a great film. I just like it's also not funny. Does it need to be preserved? I, I mean, does it is it really desperate for preservation? Like, I'm pretty sure we right. have we've got that locked down, don't we? Yeah, Criterion has to step in. <laughs> I guess I don't know. Everybody, everyone has to make sure that nobody misses out on that Phoebe Kate scene. Yeah, that just means Phoebe the, the Phoebe Kate scene is just culturally significant. I guess. Um, but yeah, the, the, the incredible shrinking man was also written by, um, Richard Matheson, uh, who was famous for writing the script for Jaws 3D. Yes. Uh, and also I am legend. That's like his big thing. He basically created like a, like a subgenre with that, with, with that story of I am legend. There's been so many riffs on that story. Um, but yeah. Uh, and you know, of course, Creature in the Black Lagoon. Last Halloween, I watched Creature in the Black Lagoon. That's a fun movie to watch. You would put that in this. I see. I I feel like Creature. I feel like Creature is uh, is much more of like I don't know. I put it more like the Universal monsters. It is Universal, but you know, it it came a little bit later. It's it's a 1950s right. movie, and people consider it more sci-fi. 
I guess. Um, because I mean, it's interesting. Of the of the Universal monsters, the creature is my favorite. Yeah, it's it's a more sci-fi monster. He's not gothic. You know, he's not like undead. He's not. Uh, it's not like in Eastern Europe. It's in the it's in the jungles, and he's like a you know a, an that's evolutionary. Uh, um, you filmed know, in Florida. Film that's that's correct. Oh, oh, uh, Revenge of the Creature was filmed in Florida too, wasn't it? Yeah, they were. Uh, I believe Wikiwachi Springs is where they filmed. Yeah, that, which is where they also filmed those uh, Johnny Weissmuller Tarzan. Another really great one is uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, dude. Which is actually quite a creepy movie. Yeah, I remember. I saw that. the '80s remake. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, and that's a great movie. That, that's a '70s remake. Oh, '70s. It's creepy too. <clears throat> yeah, Don Siegel. But... Um, that's a great movie. I mean, it's 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 kind it's, it's a little disturbing, and like the makeup the makeup effects in, in there and stuff are really scary to look at too. It's very uncanny. Like it's not. It doesn't come off as cheesy, you know. You um, know, I I just realized one movie. Because I want to talk more about like body center stuff like in a bit, but well, I realized one movie that here's a question of whether it fits into this time frame and this genre or not is um, Night of the Living Dead. You know, Night of the Living Dead. I don't think it does because Night of the Living Dead is one of two films that came out in 1968 that completely transformed the horror genre. And you know what's funny is that what was happening to horror at the time it was becoming very kid friendly. And yeah, it became a genre where you took the kids and you dropped them off for a day, and they they watched the monster rally movies, which are movies that featured all the monsters in one movie. Okay, and so Night of the Living Dead comes out, and there's a really funny <laughs> article uh, written by Roger Ebert when he went to go see Night of the Living Dead opening night. He said it was filled with kids because that's who went to see horror films: kids, filled with kids, and then the movie started. And like they were all in tears by the end of it, <laughs> because it is a gruesome film. Yeah, um, you know, kind of ho- kind of hokey by today's standards, but like there's there's shots of zombies like eating intestines and stuff. Yeah, um, well, and so so then in that case, right? I guess we could argue that that movie may have marked the end of the Atomic Bee movie era. I mean, I think it it starts a little bit earlier in the, the earlier 1960s um when movies like psycho came out right. and what inspired psycho were a bit more low budget sort of grindhouse thrillers like uh a movie called uh la diabolique which is mm-hmm. what d- directly inspired psycho alfred hitchcock saw that and was like hey i think i can do a, a movie like that um, so they were kind of already on their way out by the end of the fifties. Okay. Um, and when the sixties came around, it was when counterculture came around and like studios were just like struggling to, to, right. to cater to that audience and they couldn't do it. They'd, yeah. I, I, I think about, I think about the hinge point of 1967 and 1968 because yeah. like being a surfer, right? Like that's when 67 was like the last year that people rode longboards and then 68 was when suddenly shortboards were like the thing. And so like that year in terms of like, and that just sort of reflected other things that were happening in wider culture of just people transforming, radically changing things. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. 68 is watershed moment because not only night of the living dead, but also the other hormone that came out that changed everything was Rosemary's baby. And and also the two big sci-fi films, 2001, a space odyssey and planet of the apes. 
Right, right, right. Yeah, because I wouldn't include either. I wouldn't include Planet as part of nah. this this genre. Because at first, I was not really horror anyway. But no. it's like a tw- um, it's Twilight Zone. I mean, mostly written by Rod Serling anyway. So yeah, yeah. So basically, the movies we're talking about, you know, they might be in black and white, but they might be in color. But generally, you're thinking you're watching them while sitting in a car in a drive driving theater. The soundtrack features. The, the soundtrack features a theremin pretty heavily, <laughs> yeah. and the, you know, the the main protagonists are some kind of scientist, right? Scientists right, are usually, yeah. Um, and the some kind the of maybe thre- like a soldier, like the military involved, you know? right? The military's involved, but it's always like upper level, right? Like it's always the people who kind of like know what's going on, yeah. And the, the 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 villain, the monster, or whatever, is either an alien, right? Or some kind of mo- some kind of creature that has been affected by radiation. Yeah, radiation plays a very strong role in uh, the threat yeah. of nuclear annihilation, things like that. Yeah, yeah. So, what? By the way, I think part of what makes Spielberg's um, War of the Worlds such an effective movie yeah. is he takes the story away from the scientists yeah and you're on the ground level with people who have no idea what's going on which was what um essentially the war of the worlds i mean the, the novel i think is the same right way too yeah. right um yeah because part of what i part of you know i want to you know i, I want to get more into themes here in a bit but like yeah. part of me you know i'm trying to think about the fact that these movies tended to show experts mm-hmm. and these are experts who have the answers Right, which is why and, they were like ensemble casts. Right, and so what that had to say about what was going on, you know, with people psychologically, spiritual, all that at the time, it's being reflected in these films. You know, why is it these? Why, why, why? You know, we're seeing because right? well, it's I just mean, I, like that 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 great moment in um that great one of those one of my favorite funny moments in the Mystery Science Theater three thousand the movie where they make fun of this island Earth is when they're showing like the building of, you know, machines and they're like science technology, (laughs) turning screwdrivers. Right. Like, but that's what those movies were is they're trying to showcase, right. You know, scientists. Well, I mean, they're also there because there's, there's a functionality to it, right. They need someone to explain to the audience what's happening. Right. There's also that. Right. Which is fascinating that you want that, that the audience needs explanation and that, it would take us so long to come up with a movie that's like, isn't it scary when we don't have an explanation? Yeah. And it, well, it's, it's, it's well, and when you, when you look at the uh, way cinema was evolving, this is the 1950s, right? So like mainstream cinema had not been affected by like the French new wave, which was very director focused right right these movies were still i mean they had they still have great directors like people like jack arnold don siegel who were like good directors and you know these french critics and filmmakers loved people like them uh like people like howard hawks um and sort of they were the kind of basis for to creating the alter theory they were drawing from alfred hitchcock and howard hawks and don siegel and jack arnold and stuff um but at the same time, these were still very much dictated by the studio. So the studio system, full swing in the 1950s, right? Mm-hmm. Producers controlling everything. Directors don't have much of a say, but even it's a little bit there, maybe a little bit. Writers trying to sneak in some stuff. That's why you have movies like, you know, 
uh, uh, the day the Earth, Earth stood still. And people still to this day are arguing over whether or not invasion of the body snatchers is it pro-communism, is it anti-communism? We don't really know. <laughs> um, you could go either way, I guess. <laughs> but what you're saying, Chuck, you know, this fear of like, are, are, isn't it better to see less? That doesn't start kicking in until things really change with Night of Living Dead. Rosemary's Baby, and then Texas right. Chainsaw Massacre in the 1970s is when horror completely changes. Because that yeah, is yeah, when yeah. that French influence had penetrated cinema in America. So right. this and, era and, is still very studio. It's still very performance-driven, yeah. dialogue-driven. Right, right, right. Yeah, you know, and that, that also, because it's performance-driven, dialogue-driven, the other, the other hallmark of films from this time is fairly bad special effects. Yeah. And the reason why the universal horror movies were scary is because, like, I mean, you just put Frankenstein in front of the camera and it scared the bejesus out of people. Right. There was no, like, that's all I had to do. <laughs> and then, like, so, the, it was like, oh, grave robbing. How, ooh, you know, <laughs> like, that's so scary. Grave robbing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you bring, you bring up Frankenstein. So that that, I think, could serve as, like, a segue into, like, thematic stuff with this because... So Frankenstein's one of my favorite books and um you know Frankenstein you know is sort of credited as being sort of like the birth of horror literature. Yeah. Um Mary Shelley very 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 disturbing young woman. <laughs> um you know the story of uh, behind Frankenstein, right? Like how uh, it was written. Yeah, like they were she and Lord Byron hanging out in a lake house, right? During a really stormy night, and they were all kind of challenging other to come up with a creepy story. Well, more than that, it was the year without a summer. So um, Krakatoa had erupted, and uh, its eruption completely messed up the global climate for like two years. And it, like in England, it took away summer. Like it was rainy and cold hmm. all the way through the summer. And so people weren't going to like beach houses and stuff. So you know, so Perry, Perry, Shelley, you know, Percy Shelley, his wife, his young wife, Mary and Lord Byron hole up in this mansion that they are able to get sort of on the cheap yeah. and they to entertain themselves because they're stuck inside to entertain themselves. They come up with a writing uh, competition right. um, to write short stories for each other. And the person who gets scared the most wins. That was sort of the idea. They decided to do something scary to build off of the, you know, their own like gothic influences, but also the the, the situation outside. Um, I don't remember what Percy writes, but Mary writes Frankenstein and Lord Byron writes the vampire, which um, inspires Nosferatu and then Dracula and all those things. So, uh, but the result is, is everybody's really terrified by what Mary Shelley writes and, you know, finds a very disturbing right, story. And so she expands it into a novel at their, um, at their encouragement. What this, but what it is, is right. Frankenstein, right. Is about the, about the professor, right. Um, uh, you know, Frank, you know, Frankenstein and it says, you know, the subtitle of it is the modern Prometheus. And so the story of Frankenstein is about this scientist who, you know, decides that he wants, you know, he wants the power of the gods. And so he, you know, decides to do what gods do. And that is to bring, you know, life, you know, bring life out of death. And so, you know, yeah, he grave robs and he stitches together a body based off of, you know, what he can get. And then, you know, he uses the fire of the gods, which is lightning to bring this thing to life. And and it immediately terrifies him. Um, you know, so that's the rest of the story is the fact that that Frankenstein is scared of his own creation. 
And what's funny and different about the movies is that Frankenstein, the, the monster, is actually crazy smart. Um, it speaks multiple languages. It you know memorizes Paradise Lost and a whole bunch of other books, and it's very eloquent. Um, and then it you know it captures him later on, captures this, captures Frankenstein later on, and wants you know a wife, and that's what sets off the whole like the remainder of the book or whatever. But people pretty quickly are, you know, realize that this book captured fears around the industrial age. You know, Victorian England is going away. Industrialization is on the rise. You know, so, you know, the idea of like Prometheus, right, brings this, you know, brings fire from the gods, right, as a way to, you know, this one the gods have. So humans should have it, right? But what is fire, right? Fire is a two-edged sword because not only does it allow you to cook food and make farming tools and all that kind of stuff, right? It also burns down houses, can kill people, and it can make weapons, right? So it's this, you know, it's both blessing and curse. And this is sort of the same thing that happens with with the monster, right? He realizes, you know, he's terrified of of the power he's unleashed. And this is kind of how people are feeling about, you know, electricity and they're feeling about, you know, the, this industrial system that's coming and even trains were being described early on as like a type of Frankenstein's monster, which by the way, already from the beginning of the book's publishing publication, people were calling the monster Frankenstein. So people would get all up in arms about, you know, Oh, it's Frank. It's Frankenstein's monster. Kind of the point of the book is that the lines are blurred. Yeah. Um, and, um, um, but I, I mentioned this because I find such an interesting, Right. This sets sort of the themes of what horror is about, which is about psychology and how by the time we get to the atomic age, we're seeing some of the same fears, mm-hmm. but they're not using ghosts to communicate you know, or reanimated corpses to communicate this stuff. They're using aliens or, you know, mutated ants. Right. You know. Things like that. And so that's so that that to me is where there's an interesting conversation to be had. Uh, there's this great book by Stephen King called uh, Dance Macabre. And it's basically just like his meditations on horror. Uh, so if you're interested, in, if you like reading Stephen King, and you're interested in like sort of the more theoretical stuff about horror, you're interested in that. Uh, it's a great read. Um, I guess I should probably warn people who don't who aren't familiar with Stephen King that he writes like his backspace key doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> he's also like the embodiment of that quote from that show, Dar- uh, uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. What was that quote? Um, I've known I've known writers who use subtext, and they're all cowards. <laughs> um, I tried to find like just a passage, but like he just go he just drones on and on. It's so hard to kind of capture exactly what I wanted to say, but he. Uh, he wrote this great chapter. It's in the first chapter and he's talking about like invasion of the body snatchers and all these movies that we're talking about, Chuck. He's talking about being a kid and being in a movie theater, the Stratford theater in 1957. And, um, he's watching, um, I think it's earth versus the flying saucers. Okay. Uh, yeah. Which Mars attacks, you know, lifts a lot of imagery over the, you know, the scenes of like the UFOs flying over Washington and like tipping right, over right. the monument and stuff. That's from this yeah. movie. Um, and all of a sudden, the the movie stops, and they turn off the projector. They bring up the lights, and the manager of the theater walks in, and he tells them, 
I want to tell you, he said in that trembly voice, that the Russians have put a space satellite into orbit around the Earth. They call it dot 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 Sputnik. This piece of intelligence was greeted by absolute tomb-like silence. We just sat there, a theater full of 1950s kids with crew cuts, white cuts, ponytails, ducktails, crinolines, chinos, jeans with cuffs, Captain Midnight rings. You know, you see what I'm saying about the backspace key? He yeah, 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 yeah. Kids who had just discovered Chuck Berry and Little Richard on New York's One Black Rhythm and Blues Station, which we could get at, we, which we could get at night, wavering in and out like a powerful jive language from a distant planet. Yeah, okay, okay, we get it, we were the kids who grew up on Captain Video and Terry and the Pirates. Oh we were the God. kids who had been who had seen Combat Casey kick the key, kick the teeth at a North Koreans without number, without number in the comic books. We were the kids who saw Richard Carlson catch thousands of dirty commie spies, and I led three lives. We were the kids who pointed out, who ponied up a quarter apiece to watch Hugh Marlowe in Earth vs. the Flying Saucers, and got this piece of upsetting news as a kind of nasty bonus. I remember this very clearly. Coming through that awful dead silence came out one shrill voice, whether that of a boy or a girl, I do not know. A voice that was near tears, but that was also full of frightening anger. Oh, go show the movie, you liar. (laughs) The manager did not even look toward the place from which that voice had come, and that was somehow the worst thing of all. Somehow that proved it. The Russians had beaten us into space. Somewhere over our heads, beeping triumphantly, was an electronic ball which had been launched and constructed behind the Iron Curtain. Neither Captain Midnight nor Richard Carlson that had, uh, had been able to stop it. It was up there, and they called it Sputnik. Um, and it says like the manager just kind of stood there in shock and then just walked off and started the movie again. Um, but that just kind of tells you, like, not just in the era when these things were being made, the, the anxieties, but the people who had the anxieties. These were post-World right. War II folks. We, we, we were the winners. We won everything, right? Like, we were on top. Like, everybody took huge losses during World War II. And America was, like, I think, like, the one country that had, like, the, the few, even though we lost, we lost a lot of guys out there. Uh, we weren't anywhere near like you know Soviet the Russia. Yeah, God, the Russians lost a lot in the war. Yeah, and they basically oh. won it too because of that. Yeah. Um. But and so for this to start happening, all these anxieties in the midst of this, like I was just in, enjoying myself. Sorry, I just realized, buddy. We already started our our our, our turning forty World War Two history bit with like, yeah. oh yeah, the Russians <laughs> they lost so many. <laughs> Well, Lithuania, you know, they didn't have the guy, they didn't have the manpower. That was just... I mean, yeah, the, really, the, you know, the, 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 the liberating of Stalingrad was the turning point. Of <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, you consider that time. And so, like, yeah, the anxiety of, like, we're not on top anymore. And even, right. like, he, he even even Stephen King kind of mentions at the time, he talks about, like, the, the sun had risen and fallen on the British Empire around the same time, you know? We had mm-hmm. fewer losses than they did, even. They were our closest neighbors, and they weren't really enjoying ourselves. Now they're like in ruins, and we're out here like well, I'm watching Captain Video, you know. We're, we're in our light, nice little comfortable movie theater, and then all of a sudden, like Sputnik. Which it's so funny for us, right? Our generation, because we look at Sputnik and we're like, oh, stupid looking. Like, <laughs> this is the best you could do. <laughs> it's a ball with sticks on it, um, like. I could have drawn a better satellite. This is the stupidest thing you've ever seen. And like, but people were legit scared of it. 
Yeah. Right. And they would talk about when you could see it sometimes going overhead. Yeah. You know, and like ham and ham radio operators could hear it beeping. Right. Um, you know, I know like uh, when the you know Mad Men talked about that, how it's just creepy that it was out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's and, you know, because the, the thing that I think about with these movies, right, the two again, the two. Right. The, the ghouls. Right. Because they're ghost stories. Right. Let's just be honest. These are ghost stories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's. Because part of why I'm thinking about this is like, all right, you know, Halloween time. My kids want to decorate for Halloween. How do we decorate our house? Spiders, ghosts, you know, yeah, you know that kind of thing. You know, why isn't it aliens? Why isn't it flying saucers? Right? Because of the same thing, right? It's all the same thing mm-hmm. when when we get right down to it. Because you know, Washington Irving writes The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and it's no coincidence that he says that the you know that the belief is that the headless horseman was a Hessian who had lost his head from a cannonball. Right. The Hessians were ally. You know, they, they helped. They, they served as, you know, sort of like mercenary types that helped um, that helped the revolutionary co- revolutionary war cause in the northern uh, front of the, of the of the war. And so this is this is rooted in American revolutionary fear right that out in the woods. Like there might still be a company of British that don't know that the war is over. Yeah. You know, or like, you know, this this unknown, right? That you don't you, you've won liberty for this country, but now well, what is it, right? And on top of that, Irving even says that the belief of Sleepy Hollow is that it's sort of a spiritual place because some um, Indian shaman, what he calls an Indian wizard, had put some kind of spiritual spell over the area. Hmm. Um, right. So there's also this fear of like the Native Americans who live in the woods. And what what do they do when you venture outside the safety of your village, right? The idea that the covered bridge in 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 uh, in the Legend of Sleepy Hollow is like the place of safety, right? Because it gets you into the boundaries of the town and out of the wilderness, right. you know. So like that's that's playing off of that psychology, right? This is the same thing that's happening for us in the fifties, right? Aliens, right? The fear of invasion from aliens. I, I remember watching. You know, I'm a sucker for UFO documentaries. And I remember watching one years and years ago where they speculated that the image of an alien is a sort of caricature of of Japanese people. <laughs> you know, talking about look at look, consider what the, what aliens tend to look like in pop culture. Yeah. They're short, they have slanted, you know, almond shaped eyes, mm-hmm. and they fly things, right? So like, they how is this things. not Pearl Harbor? <laughs> you know? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You know, so so is this. Is this, you know, is this, you know, the, you know, we, we, you know, America been invaded, right? You know, Pearl Harbor had happened. And so, you know, is this part of the lingering fear of, you know, the next invasion that's going to come? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we've this, already seen, you know, nuclear might. Right. Well, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute because, you know, because the, 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 there's two types of movies here, right? There's the alien invasion film and being invaded was an actual fear, right? You know, get, get into the 80s, right? We get Red Dawn, right? It's the fear that the communists are going to come, they're going to invade us and take over. Right. And so we're, you know, we're, we're using the fear of, you know, an imagery from the one invasion that we do know to talk about the one that we're afraid of. And think about like, you know, the aliens come, right. These UFOs come and they're all in uniforms, right? right. Like there's this, this kind of Soviet, right. Like common held thing. They're sort of a collective that show up. Right. So it's just the fears of being invaded by the Soviets. Right. It's what I, I'm right. convinced of. And because they're the East or the alien, um, but then you also have the the other the other type of movie is the 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 the, the atomic monster movie, right? The British film, The Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, awoken by nuclear testing, right? You got the the giant ants that are mutated by radiation, um, you know, a lot of that kind of 
thing is going on. Well, to me, right, this is, I was telling you before this, right, this is like a Cain and Abel kind of thing, right? It's, mm. it's, it's Frankenstein. It's, you know, can't, you know, the story of Cain and Abel is, you know, Cain, right? Adam and Eve sin. And so death is now a power that exists in the world, right? They have not, they have not died, but death is now a factor. And Cain is jealous of his brother. And rather than try to figure out what's a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord God, he instead is like, I'm going to use death. I'm going to kill my brother, which possibly is he saying, I'm killing my brother as a sacrifice. That's an interesting interpretation. But um, either way, Cain kills Abel in order to win this rivalry. And then what does Cain do? Immediately goes on the run and says, I'm terrified that now if people find me, they'll kill me. So Cain is the first person to utilize death as a power to get what he wants. But now he realizes anyone can do this. And so now he's afraid. And I think this is similar, like, again, right? Frankenstein, you know, awakens his monster. And now he's like, shit, what have I done? Right. right? You get and then you get the same thing with the atomic era. We've we've unleashed this power on the world. Well, the Russians now have it. You know, uh, everyone has it. Everyone has access to this stuff now. And so what does that mean for us, right? So radiation, you know, atomic radiation becomes something that's both, right? Oh, it's powering our cities. It's making all this, you know, progress happen, right? The suburbs are driven by nuclear power plants and all this. But then there's also this fear of, it's, again, it's like the fire from the gods of Prometheus, right? It's, it's this, this power that's now been unleashed on, onto the world. And it comes with both blessing and curse. And we're afraid of it. We, we have become death the destroyer have, of worlds yes thank you was it goddard right who says that oppenheimer oppenheimer that's right goddard was yeah. One of, yeah oppenheimer um yeah and you know this is around the time the, the big worry was the uh icbms right they were just starting yeah. to become uh easily uh put into production and, and russia had like were able to catch up with us so it's like they had the same things we do now mm-hmm so how do we know they, they could just like send one over? Right. And then, so. and that's also part of the Sputnik fear, right? It, the Sputnik fear wasn't about the, the fact they got the satellite in space first. Yeah. It was more like, did they get the bigger nuke first? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, God, what a scary if they can, if they can, like... if they can, if they can send a satellite that can fly in the space above us, what's to stop them from putting a nuclear weapon up there that can do that can then come down on us. Right. Um, but that's why I like getting back to this a little bit. It's why, you know, I think Godzilla is an important movie to talk about in this genre because it, of course, right. Godzilla, Godzilla is an interesting movie because 1954, you know, um, Ishiro Honda makes this movie and it's popular and it's popular among Japanese American groups as well. And so an American film company decides to get a hold of it and then they decide to sort of Americanize it. And so they cast Raymond Burr to they stick him into some scenes in order to make him Raymond Burr, sir. Uh, that's a callback. <laughs> well done. That's all the way back to what our Hamilton episode from like three years ago. Yeah, that was a, that was a while back. Perry Mason, right? So they get Perry Mason to uh, to show up as a reporter so he can explain everything that's going on. But they make some very key edits to the movie. One of the most notable edits that they make in the American version of God, which they, of course they title Godzilla King of the Monsters. What, um, what, which by the way, right? Godzilla is called Gujira. 
Godzilla in Japan, which is a, a combination of like ape and whale is what they're trying to go for. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, um, um, which is an aside is why they picked the design they picked for the Cloverfield monster, because it's a combination of an ape and a whale. Anyway, um, um, American, I can't remember who the American producer was, I can't remember his name, but when he hears it, he's like, oh, Godzilla. Like that's a, it's where God is in there. And then Zilla just sort of sounded vaguely dinosaur-like to him. Yeah. And so it's funny, right? So he just sort of invented Zilla, which has become a, you know, a, a just, a, it, it, he invented it. Like there was yeah. no pretext to use that before. Um, but one of the key things that they edit out of this movie in the 1954 Japanese film, there's a scene where Godzilla's foot stomps down next to like a family and they survive. Later, there's a scene where where uh, doctors or scientists or whatever are running Geiger counters over everybody. And like when they wave it over the kids who were next to the foot, like it spikes. Hmm. They've been exposed to radiation. And so like the, ge- the Geiger counter is, you know, showing that they've been. Right. You know, that they're, they're, you know, risk of like a radiation sickness. Right. Which for the Japanese, like this is what they experience after the drop of the bomb. Right. But in the American version, they cut that out entirely. They didn't want any reference to like radiation exposure. They didn't want any reference to that to make it look, you know, like, you know, to remind anyone of what the Americans had done to the Japanese by dropping the bombs on them. Which American um, studio put out uh, Godzilla? Do you know? Oh, I should know, but I don't. Was it Warner Brothers? Because uh, I, I think they—I mean—they no. own the rights now, right? They own the rights now, but it was like it's like American Pictures or something. I don't remember. It was, it was some American International like, Pictures AIP, really. I think it was. Yeah, let me let me that's, see. That's interesting. They're like a grindhouse. Well, it was kind of. It was. Yeah, it was considered a um, more of a grindhouse kind of film, right? So a lot of people, when you think of Godzilla, you think of. Godzilla King of the heavily re-edited Americanized version. Um, Transworld Releasing Corporation. Yeah. Embassy Pictures. Embassy in pictures. the East Coast. wonder if that's a yeah, so somebody. West Coast was uh, West Coast was Transworld Releasing Corporation, and then the US East Coast was Embassy Pictures. Huh. Um, you know, folded into De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. Okay. Yeah. That's I think that's a um, universal guy. <clears throat> yeah. Um, embassy films anyway um stuff they put out by the way was the graduate the producers uh phantasm uh, uh prom night scanners the howling escape from new york and this is spinal tap so uh, better times anyway so uh so what what makes godzilla an interesting movie is that it's it, it is inspired by these early Hollywood B movies, Atomic Age B movies, but it's interpreting them from a Japanese perspective. And so Godzilla is meant to be an embodiment of the horrors of nuclear war. It's also it's also a film that's very much rooted in Japanese in the Japanese sense of shame around the their participation in the war. Right. Because they feel shame that they were sort of, you know, caught up in this militaristic thing that a lot of people didn't actually support. Right. This military dictatorship that that plunged them into the war. Um, And so while some people look at it as, oh, it's their way of blaming America. Right. Because, you know, after bombing Pearl Harbor, there's a famous line like, you know, they've they've woken a great sleeping beast. Right. Well, that's kind of what happens is a great sleeping beast is awoken. Um, But it's more seen as it's more seen as like that like this weird sense of like they brought this on themselves by putting them by 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 buying into this this 
thing of war. And so the the film is meant to be a cautionary thing of just like, look, this is horrible. War is horrible. Like, especially nuclear war, like stop it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, interestingly, there's a later Godzilla film from the two thousands called, um, giant monsters all out attack that Godzilla is in that film possessed by the souls of the Japanese war dead, huh. which plays up. It plays up this, uh, these themes a little bit more, but, um, anyway, yeah, it's just why I think Godzilla is a cool movie and especially from the, the original Japanese film, which is a lot more somber, um, of a movie than the American re-edit. Um, it's, it's a, it's a movie that, 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 that is telling this story from the Japanese perspective, you know, the people who are actually the victims of atomic war, they've actually been through atomic war. This is their version of it rather than us who unleashed it, but now we're afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, it, but it's using the conventions of it to sort of tell a slightly different story, um, which I think is just sort of kind of cool. Um, yeah, that is cool. Yeah. And sobering. Yeah. There's a lot of trust and expertise in these old movies. Oh, yeah. What happens if the experts fail? Right. right. And that's yeah. sort of kind of like, you know, where we are in the Eisenhower era. Right. We're trusting, mm-hmm. you know, right. Like especially these guys who've come back from the war, right? They're, you know, the, the five-star general is now the president. And so they're just con- kind of continuing to take orders. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, what happens, you know, what happens if the experts are wrong or they don't have enough knowledge or whatever, which we kind of now know, like the experts don't like in the post-NOM era, we're just not the same, right? We, right. We, sus- we, we are very suspicious of experts in our, especially now, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's why our tendency is to put this stuff on street level and, and partly why Spielberg's war of the world is one of the most terrifying movies I've ever seen. Yeah, that was, man, I remember you and I seeing that you, me and Matt and just being like my stomach being in knots the entire movie. <laughs> I still, I'm sure right now, if I heard the sound of oh. the tripod, like I would get triggered concurrently. There were other horror stories being told, but they weren't being told at the movies. They were being told in comic books, uh, right. specifically in the uh, being distributed by EC Comics, mm-hmm. which, if you're not familiar, um, they were putting out titles like Tales from the Crypt or The Vault of Horror. These sort of uh, short, kind of bite-sized horror stories that you would read in comic books. And they were very infamous because they were gruesome. Like, they were really yeah. violent very titillating, um, not like stuff you'd be allowed to watch in a film. And they sort of drew the ire of uh, what became the comics code, right? I forgot the name of the guy who like was the one that noticed it. Uh, he wrote this whole book on like how it's like corrupting our youth. It was like, oh, you're uh, talking about the uh, what is it? Is it the um... oh yeah? Because it's the guy who he's he's what he's most known for in popular culture is he's the one who accused Batman of being like yes pedophilic homosexual i believe so yeah i think this was yeah. like in late late 40s but like kind of go- went into the 50s so the comic the comic code authority really used ac comics as like the scapegoat for all of this and used a bunch of unfounded data uh basically just lied just kind of shut down to shut down this uh label uh for the for the greater good or whatever i don't know um but EC Comics sort of found a way to adapt to that. And instead of just doing these sort of gruesome, nihilistic stories, they found a way around 
the censors, to kind of skirt the censors, was to turn them into sort of morality tales. So it's like, it's not just like an innocent who's being eaten by, you know, a, a flesh-eating monster. It's it's an adulteress. Right. Because she deserved it. Right? Or a by the bully. Way, it's or funny, a, yeah. It's funny that you're breaking this up because I'm looking, I'm just sort of looking at Wikipedia's page about them right now because I was curious if they did any sci-fi horror stuff. Oh, they um, totally did. Yeah, but it just mentions right here. It says uh, that um, um, uh, one of the guys, Max Gaines, yeah, um, who was the owner of EC Comics, when they when DC when it was merged with DC Comics in 1944, he retained rights to the comic book Picture Stories from the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so they also published pictures Picture Stories from the Bible. Yeah, you got to respect the Griff, dude. Yeah, dude. Um, but so yeah, they they started turning these into morality tales. So it's like uh, the con man getting their comeuppance or whatever. Right. And this in turn, like they're able to avoid the comic code authority by doing this. They're able to still be gruesome. They're just subjecting the gruesomeness to like bad people or whatever. Right. This sort of created its own subgenre. And Chuck, have you ever, do you know about the movie creep show? No. Oh my god. I mean, I, I know that. I know that. I've. I know the logo. I know the poster, but I've never seen it. <laughs> Creepshow is like one of my all-time favorite movies. That movie is like comfort food for me. Um, and it's hard to explain why, but it just it just is. It, it's it's a throwback to the EC comics. It was written by Stephen King. It was directed by George Romero, and all the special effects were done by Tom Savini. Um, so it's just like I a who's you should I, 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 I'm going to show it to you when I get to Hawaii okay. uh, I'm going to get the Shot Factory edition which has all the cool stuff on it 4K transfer anyway um, so it's an anthology film each movie it's like a series of short films and they're all morality tales that, well except for one one of them is actually kind of funny it's, it stars Stephen King as a farmer who uh, discovers an asteroid that lands in his backyard, and he wants to sell it for two hundred bucks. Uh, but the more he hangs onto it, the more it's, it's like starts to grow around him. Like the like the vegetation starts growing around him, and even starts growing on him. Um, so it kind of just becomes like a tragedy. It's called like the sad, lonely death of Jordy Vero or whatever. Uh, but it's also really bizarre and kooky. It's a great movie. The movie is a blast. Um, but even then, still has the the whole idea of like each each character who dies is like they're getting their comeuppance they they deserve it and it's interesting how this has sort of echoed throughout the horror genre like there are still horror movies being made that are all about like oh it's just the bad people dying recently a movie came out called freaky a movie that i was very much looking forward to uh because it's directed by hold on a second well, and the convention of that movie is really cool, right? I, I wanted to see it because I like the idea of taking, which is like historically a family comedy story convention and making it horror. Yeah. So it's directed by Christopher Landon. Christopher Landon came out a, a few years ago with another horror movie called Happy Death Day, which was mm-hmm. like Groundhog Day, but with a slasher. What's interesting about both of these films, in that movie, nobody gets killed except for the main character. That's because she keeps dying over and over again. Right. And this and, movie, yeah. Yeah, I was saying, Happy Death Day is basically, right, like, it's it's like, like you say, it's with a slasher, but it's like, the slasher is, like, it's every day you're the victim of the slasher, and so right. it's, it's a movie about her learning how to outwit. Yeah, 
and trying to yeah. figure out who it is and maybe she can stop it. Yeah. And then he went on to direct this movie called Freaky, um, which the concept of it is, of course, that Freaky Friday plot where mm-hmm. mom and daughter switch bodies. Only in this one, it's the teen girl and uh, the psychopath killer, played by Vince Vaughn. And they switch bodies, and Vince Vaughn is the teen girl, and the teen girl is like like crazy silent killer, which is cool. She's she's awesome, by the way. Vince Vaughn is also awesome. They great performances. Um, but what's interesting is that everyone who dies in this movie are like just all douchebags. Like everyone who makes like being a teenage girl miserable are basically the ones that are the victims. You know, you have like the date rapey boys. You have like the 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 popular girl who's like making your life miserable through cyberbullying, um, all this like all this stuff, and and I'm, I'm and I'm I'm fascinated by this because even people of Fangoria, like Phil Noble Jr., who's the editor in chief Fangoria, have noted like horror has become like a comforting thing lately, and on top yeah, of that, it's catharsis. You have these horror movies where the only people who are dying are the ones we don't like. People we can root against, which, you know, in my opinion, kind of saps all the suspense. Yeah. Well, it's like I told you, like, I, I think that it also kind of reveals a fairly disturbing quality. Yeah. I mean, especially when you're dealing with a film, it's about a teen girl killing other teenagers. Yeah. When we have plenty of school shooters who sort of see themselves <laughs> in that position, like, it just kind of seems irresponsible. <laughs> in a way, I guess. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that's horror. Horror is always horror. It's horror, you know? That's- but the thing that kind of concerns me is that when we start sort of indulging this impulse that we have of, like, enjoying watching, like, bad people getting their comeuppance in a genre like horror, it started, I mean, I guess there were probably other, I mean, I'm sure there's other stories that came up before EC Comics were doing about bad people getting their comeuppance in, 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 in horrible ways. But I mean, you have to realize the reason, reason why it all started was to appease conservative censors. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Are, are are we kind of is this is this like a a, a conservative leaning genre of horror that we're we're suddenly constructing? Look, man, I I just can't help but think that like this is all. I, I mean, as I say over and over, it's it's Puritanism, right? I mean, it's the same kind of. We're still dealing with the fact that we're Puritans, right? Puritanism <laughs> is the foundate is a foundational theology of of our society and you know cancellation is scarlet letter i mean it's just it's all the same kind (laughs) it's putting people in the stocks right it's the same kind of nonsense it just you know but it flips sides but i think it's funny that that we're seeing this you know we see it on both the left and the right yeah you know it's uh it's you know because we would criticize you know we would criticize i mean i remember I remember my cousin's ex-husband refusing to see any movie with Johnny Depp because of his <laughs> opinions about the president <laughs> and his politics. Right. I remember right. my conservative family members not watching Oprah because they supported Obama. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, there was just so many movies like I'm not going to with Leonardo DiCaprio because he's got Right. So, right. That that's 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 cancel culture, guys. That's what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Right? That's that's but like that's the, the, the impulse there. Right. Is to see the. Right. We want we want to see those people get their their just desserts. Right. Uh-huh. Um, we don't you know, then then now we're seeing on the other side where it's, you know, people on the left that are all like, oh, we want to see. The, you know, it's just it's it's we're, we're the opposite sides of the same coin, man. 
but it's and it's, I think we should be concerned by it actually. Yeah, and I think there's a certain way to do it. You know, Get Out came out a few years ago, and I think it's a brilliant film. Um, have you seen it yet? I've not. I, I want to. I think you'd really like it. Um, and that, but that is like perfect. Um, I don't want to say much because I don't want to spoil it for you. <laughs> right, right, right. But like, the, I think that kind of does it the way it's supposed to be done. The sort of bad people getting in their comeuppance. Um, but, but what I also want to kind of get back to is the idea of like horror as comfort. You know, I said earlier, creep show is comfort for me. Yeah. Um, and it is like, it, if I'm having a bummer day, I can put on creep show and I feel much better. Um, but I don't think it's because of like, it's, I, I take comfort in, in gruesomeness, but I think it has something to do with like something. It's something that I survived that I can live live through again and know that yeah, it come out the other end or something you know it might be why like yeah i mean because for me for me alien is that yeah uh you know the haunted mansion is that right right these were things that when i was a kid i was scared of right i mean alien i wasn't really that scared of but yeah the, it, the, yeah yeah i was just saying like it, it's you know it is yeah but i get that i get that 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 sense of it's comfort for, but it, it's comfort because we've seen it so many times, right? You know, when I first saw Creep Show, I remember actually first watching it and being like, really, ooh, you know, like, kind of like I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable. I was a little creeped out by it. Um, now it's just like I just laugh through it. You know, I just, I just, I love yeah. the gnarliness of it, right? Um, because I, Tom Savini is a makeup artist and his his effects are are brilliant. I I really want what well, what I guess my thing is when you talk about like. The, the idea of horror is it's meant to it's meant to sort of give expression to something that we don't know what to how to express yeah right we you know there's a sense of like well like alien okay so let's talk about alien because you and I were talking a little bit about alien earlier right alien alien is a movie that it's scary especially for men because it sort of subjects the male psyche to the sorts of things that women have been subjected to, like rape, yeah. forced pregnancy, stuff like that. Right. Right. And I told you, you know, it's like I have like these I have these like weird fears about like having tapeworms. And <laughs> and I've said to Kane, like this creeps me out. Like, I just don't know what I would do if I read a tapeworm. And she's just like she's like, it doesn't really bother me because like I've grown people inside my body. So like it just doesn't <laughs> weird me out nearly as much as you. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's you know, it's a foreign concept. I have no frame of reference for it. Yeah. And, you know, Dan, um, Dan O'Bannon, who wrote the original script for Alien, the first draft, he suffered from stomach problems. Oh, interesting. He had a intestinal. Um, what is that called? IBS. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, so I, I so I think that so like. Right. So part of what horror is supposed to do is to be able to give shape to something that. Right. And like I said, I think part of what Alien is doing, I don't know if they were super aware that they were doing it. And it's part of what's the brilliance of Alien is I think the stuff that it's effective at is like it's subconscious. Right. Um, But is that it's sort of giving it's giving sort of some voice to the fear, uh, like the patriarchy's fear of women having power. Yeah. Um, And and so I think that. I think that like horror is supposed to kind of do that. And when you make it just like John wick, right. It's not right. Cause I mean, if you're, if you're thinking about if, 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 if the thing of that's enjoyable about watching, like say something like freaky is watching the bad people get their comeuppance, right. That's how is that different from John wick? 
mm-hmm. right? Because John Wick is they're puppy murderers and they they deserve to die. Um, you know it, where you know, they, they, but horror is supposed to kind of walk the entire audience through something that everyone's scared of right. and finds scary. It's not supposed to be like I don't know, like it. It sort of makes me think of you know when you go to you 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 you, you, you drag your friend to the big tent revival. Because you think your friend needs Jesus, and so you sit there and you're waiting for them to like get convicted by the preacher, so that they'll like go forward and dedicate their life to the Lord and change, right? It's the same kind of thing. It's like I'm going to bring this jock guy I know to this movie, so that maybe he'll like <laughs> see the error of his ways and right, try to be yeah. different, right? <laughs> like it's kind of supposed to scare everyone in the room, yeah, right? You know, and and of course horror horror you know is so bad nowadays with jump scares, right? Like that's like the you know. And I could I understand the impulse because the thing about the sort of the team behind Freaky, Christopher Landon and the screenwriter, um, who was actually on a podcast I used to listen to a lot, but they stopped because his screenplay got bought. <laughs> um, uh, why is he not on the Wikipedia? Hey, Michael. I think his name is Michael Kennedy. Anyway, they're both gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I could see the impulse being like, it's going to be subversive. We want horror right. to be subversive towards the culture. And these are, and you know, the people who die of freaky are all sort of represented parts of culture that are like hurting us, you know? Yeah. Rape culture, uh, cyberbullying, you know? Um, yeah, but still you could, but is that, hor- is that horror? I guess that's my question. Is yeah. that horror or is it something else? I mean, I, I think it's still horror. It's just. I don't know if it's the kind of horror that, that we need. Well, because, I mean, I, you talk about Get Out, right? I've, I, again, I've not yeah. seen Get Out, but what I've understood from Get Out is that what Get Out does really successfully is it allows a white audience to experience the situa- the, the circumstances of black America. Like, that shows, like, part of what horror is supposed to do is to walk us through, like, to get us to experience the types of things that certain other people are experiencing and which Jordan Peele does brilliantly, by the way, it is very uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. But like, you know, so like, right. So like, let's go to war of the worlds from 1950s war of the worlds. Yes. Like what, you know, okay. So you're a, you know, you're, yeah, you're terrified of Sputnik. Yeah. But you don't know that you don't necessarily know that you're terrified of Sputnik, right? You just know that the newspaper, right? Like Bob Dylan writes in with God on our side, right? I've been told to hate the Russians my whole life. Right. So that's, you're 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 just afraid of the Russians because you've been told to be afraid of the Russians, right? You don't really you know you don't understand it necessarily, but you you have this fear of them, and you don't know what that is. But then you go to a movie where aliens come from another people come from another world. Mm-hmm. You don't get a good look at them. Their technology is far beyond what we have, and on top of that, the experts are trying to do everything they can to stop it and are failing. Right. And the only reason the only reason that these aliens lose is that they don't have an immune system that can handle the common cold right right so COVID-19 takes out the aliens <laughs> um which you're right I mean it's just the common cold yeah it is it's a common cold yeah right that's the, and that's the brilliance of, of that story right of course you gotta love the atomic age McCarthyist thing right they're in a church yeah I know <laughs> when it happens so it's like it's a miracle right God right but like that's sort of right but that's also the message right God has created us to be able to live on this planet so these people aren't you know they they, they are not and right. so that's why they can't thrive um, which of course 
uh, Shyamalan will try to use in signs to talk about you know the water burns healing. Anyway, right. um, but it's uh, but like what what that movie does is it sort of walks you through as an American what your fears are and your fears are people from outside of your comfort zone coming and you're powerless to stop them. You could say war of the worlds, the movie is doing and the, 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 the 1950s movie is doing the same thing as alien. You know, we're saying we're, we're, we've established that alien is subjecting men to the same anxieties that women have, you know, mm-hmm. um, while War of the Worlds, the movie, was subjecting the anxieties of being invaded, a.k.a. colonialism, which was what the original War of the Worlds book was about. It was a critique Ooh. on the British colonialism in India. And basically all the rest of the world. But mostly India. By Byron Haskin directed. Byron Haskin. I don't even know who that person is. Um, but... That's interesting, though, because, like, the anxieties that we're having against Russia and technology, our, our enemies developing technology, it's a fear of something that we've subjected on numerous people, which is colonialism. Right. Which, by the way, I early on in the pandemic started to realize how the irony of, like, a foreign illness coming to America, yeah. shutting us down, like... We, you know, we, we, we spread diseases all over the world and now it's kind of coming back on us. I think you're onto something. Um, and so, but right, right. Like, but it's, it's again, right. That's that to me, this is what horror is. is it walks you through that process. And so that everyone in the room is on a level playing ground of experiencing this thing. It's not like for the person over there. It's not for your intended audience. Right. Cause this is the problem with, all right. So a movie like freaky, right. Is, the intended the the audience to whom it is intended is likely not to get the message or to see the movie probably right so if you're going to try to make a movie i mean i one could argue that get out is the same situation but it was such a cultural phenomenon that i think that's a different story but you know when you make the movie it's like that what was that movie about that was really controversial that came out during the pandemic which was about like rich people like rich conservatives hunting liberals. What was that movie? Oh, 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 yes. Oh, The Hunt. The Hunt. Uh, which, by the way, I watched it. It sucks. Yeah, but I just, again, right, like this is a movie that the intended audience is not going to get it, right? I think, now, one one horror franchise that fascinates me in this is, and I think is probably effective in what we're talking about is The Purge. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because... Right, like the first film, whatever. But like the whole franchise, this whole concept of the purge is fascinating. It's very much a post-Occupy Wall Street uh, uh, saga. <laughs> yeah, but right, like, but they, but it, but it's a but it's a it's a it's a it's it's a film series that like the themes of it are something that like every one of us can walk through. Right, we can yeah. all. Right. There's if you really want to make it into a revenge fantasy film, you can totally see it that way. But at the mm-hmm. end, right, which I mean, the second one kind of is, yeah. Yeah, but like, but the reality is, is that the 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 purge is something that would affect all of us if it were real. Yeah, and so we're kind of it's, it's walking you through the story of like we are really at the we are we really are at the mercies of the powers that be, mm-hmm. and whatever um, power we have, it's basically just the an illusion they've created. Yeah, yeah. Right. So that's effective horror. Like we think we're cleansing. Like the whole the whole point of the purge is that they all think. 
that we the working class thinks they're cleansing themselves by killing each other, but really the rich have just pitted us against each other so that we could kill ourselves and they could keep on living. And so they can also participate in killing us as well. Right, right, right. Um, without any mind to, without any mind to how that ends up screwing them in the long run. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, so I, I, I think, but I think that that's a, like that's, that to me is what horror is. is horror is walking you, the, the reader or the audience through this experience rather than right. So like you're kind of rather than the catering to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Catering to whatever impulses you have. Yeah. Cause like, I'm, I gotta say like, I'm, you know, as a Christian, I'm a bit, and as a pacifist, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit concerned about the fact that I like really enjoy John wick. <laughs> <laughs> you well, know? Yeah. I mean, that's, you talk about action. That's like a totally different beast. You know, that's like, Different feelings. That, that action is like cathartic, you know. Yeah, but I get like if do. you're, but like, but again, like freaky, right? If you're watching a movie about the, you know, a girl take a chainsaw right. to a bunch of like, yeah. you know, a bunch of like bullies, right? Like that. I think I would probably be like, yeah, get them, <laughs> you know. And right. I think we should be bothered by that. That that's con- that's considered, you know, virtuous or whatever. Um, but yeah, but like getting back to this EC comics and right in, in this whole morality thing, right? I mean, that's a big part of the slasher genre. Well, it is the morality it, play thing. Well, it's so complicated because it's it's all sort of happenstance and accidental. It was never like intentional. It was never yeah. when John Carpenter made Halloween, he wasn't saying anything about teenagers except that they like to have fun, right? <laughs> you know, and yet. People were analyzing. People like Roger Ebert were like, you know, people who watch these movies just want to see Jason kill teenagers, and they root and they holler for him. Which I mean, he wasn't wrong. But at the same time, you know, that's it's still scary. They want to watch Jason put a kid in a sleeping bag, and then beat another (laughs) child to death with the person in the sleeping bag. Which is really funny because back then I used to be so like, um. Like, I used to be so opposed to, like, Roger Ebert's criticism on, like, the Friday the 13th movies. Like, why do you even review these movies? You're just going to, like, clutch your pearls over it. But, like, he had a point. I mean, (laughs) these weren't made by auteurs. They were made by people who were exploiting Halloween. They were just trying to... Yeah, it's total exploitation cinema. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, like, Body Snatchers, right? Body Snatchers is a movie that's, like, really, it's about the idea that, like, your kids have gotten a hold of the Communist Manifesto. And are now like they've gotten some literature, <laughs> yeah. And they're hanging out with them damn beatniks, <laughs> and are you know they're they're starting to turn into something different, right? Like that. I mean, that's what body snatchers is, right? Um, and like that's something that like, you know, that was a real fear for everyone. Um. Yeah. So like, so I, a, so I a guess, moral I guess panic, if you will. Yeah, indeed, I, but I think about right, like. The other thing about like horror, right, is because what bothers me is like why I've been so turned off by the horror genre at large is because, you know, like I enjoyed Scream. I enjoyed all those like early 2000s teen slashers, though I never saw Dracula 2000. Um, <laughs> but like I oh, dude, I love the faculty, which is totally in this. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. I forgot. We forgot to bring out the faculty. Yeah, um, totally in this wheelhouse. Yeah. But like those gave way to like hostile and saw yeah and these 
obviously incredibly terrifying, incredibly terrifying films. But which, by the way, not to interrupt you. I mean, I, I am interrupting, but just just to interject for a second. Uh, if you'd like to read my reviews on the entirety of the Saw franchise, uh, just visit my letterbox when I subjected myself to every single Saw movie over a period of two days. Go on. <laughs> but like, like that that I don't know. There's something right. This what they call the torture porn. Yeah. You know, type of horror like that. Just that, that, I don't know. That doesn't appeal to me because it's not. Right, it's revolting and it's too real. Yes, I guess it gets too real. Too real, but um, also like, I don't know. I mean, I watch, like I said, I watch those Saw movies. Um, they're pretty stupid. Um, but yeah, it definitely is a glee and just like how slowly we can kill a person. Um, but you know what's fascinating, Chuck, about torture porn that nobody talks about because it's definitely probably too subtle for most people to understand um around the same time that torture porn was at its height of popularity in america there was a genre uh gaining popularity in france which is called the uh uh uh, french i think it's called the french extremist french extreme new french extreme horror or something and people were thinking like, oh, this torture porn is taking off, and the French are like taking it to the next level. And these movies were like way more gruesome than anything made by Saw. And one of them made it over to the states called uh, High Tension. Um, oh yeah. And uh, there was another movie that came out called Martyrs, which I watched for the first time a few years ago. And Martyrs is about. Huh. Martyrs is about. Um, well, okay. I can't really explain the plot because it's very intricate, but I'll just say, like, it ends with the main character being so brutally tortured, she sees heaven. And I'm talking, like, flayed alive and sprawled out. Like, okay. start, you start. I don't, I don't, need, I don't yeah. need to know. Um, it, and when it over, when it ended, it had such a bleak ending. In fact, actually, I'm not. You, actually, the point is, and I'm ruining this movie. But the point is, you actually don't know if there's anything after that. There's like a secret society that tortures people to try to find like the meaning of, of like an afterlife, if there's an afterlife. Okay. And when they push this woman to the brink, the head of the secret society walks up to the walks to the woman, and she whispers into her ear, into this woman's ear, and they ask her, "What does she say? What does she say?" And then she walks off, and then she just like shoots herself in the head. This movie was so. Um, this is not the kind of stuff I like. <laughs> this right. is not, I don't like say, I want to watch this movie. It's going to be fun. This is one of those movies I watch where I'm just like, I just want to see what it is because I haven't, I'm not really familiar with the genre. Just show me one, show me what you got. Right. That's yeah, what horror fans it, do. Um, and this is, it's too spicy for me. Now, here's the thing. When it was over, it made me question why I like horror. I was like, why do I like this stuff? Like this, that was that was that was that put me in a bad mood. And people watch this for fun. I don't get it. I don't know why people like this. And then uh, I I read up some interviews of the directors, and apparently, like the whole point of it, the the conclusion I reached, that was the point. Because torture porn had become so rampant, and so like permeating the culture, and like it was became like a worldwide thing, and. While torture porn was getting um, popular, you know what was happening in the real world in, in the real world at the time. 
during the Bush administration and the invasion of Iraq. Torture Actual was. torture. Yeah. And we had a whole TV show called 24 where every week you can tune in to watch Kiefer Sutherland torture a new terrorist. Yeah. Um, and he's like, that's why I made the movie. And I was like, I, oh, that's interesting. So, like, the, the way I felt I was supposed to feel that way. It wasn't mm-hmm. to be, like, cathartic. It wasn't to try a new spicy food. The point was to make me think about, why do I like this? And he sure yeah. did do that. <laughs> that is supposed to be the function of horror, where you, yeah. your uncomfortableness makes you come to whatever conclusion the artist was to bring you to. Yeah, well, what I was trying to get with all of this is, like, why I was so turned off on it is because I feel like that level of, like, gruesome, you know, like, showing people suffering and pain. Right. Right. Like that's, that's, I don't, I, I don't need to see that. Right. That's not something I'm interested in, in watching, you know, I, so what I'm saying is like, I miss, I miss like, why, 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 why can't a horror film be just sort of like moody and atmospheric, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, like people, you know, kids like, you know, apparently lost their mind when like the original Frankenstein came out. Right. Like wh- where's that movie? Where's grave robbing Chuck? Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, you know, like, where's, like, you know, it's, I don't know, there's just something more about, like, that kind of gothic storytelling where it's just more about, you know, it's, again, it's mood, right? Like, you're creeped out by the hand in in uh, War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like, you're just, that, that like, that, that that's, that's enough, right? Like, where's that, right? That's not a movie that's, like, it's trying to make me question, like, whether or not I should go on living, well, you know, it's, yeah, you know, it's it's just more of like a like it's I don't know, man. I just well, like I would say, be careful what you wish for, because those movies can have a devastating effect on you. And I because I saw one and it was called The Witch. Oh, right. And, you know, it's not a gruesome movie, but it is a bummer of a movie. <laughs> you know, it's all mood. It's all atmosphere. Well, Midsommar is like this too. Yeah. No, well, Midsommar's gruesome though. It's it's pretty gnarly. Well, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's also another. And Hereditary is oh, oh my gosh, Hereditary like ruined my day. Um, <laughs> and, and you know what? The, the the funny thing about Hereditary, it didn't ruin my day because of like you know any of the horror. Well, I mean, the idea is that like uh, the matriarch of a family like just subjects her entire family to like horrible things for her own personal gain. Even after she's dead, they're still suffering. And I was like, that sucks, dude. (laughs) Generational abuse. I mean, that's stuff that people do go through. Right. So it gives, again, it's giving, it's giving language and shape to something that people do experience. Right. Like I don't need to see that because I've seen it firsthand. Right. But it's, you know, but I, again, like it's not, I don't know. Like I just, I, I'm 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 on board with I, again I'm not going to see it. Here's what I want: I want a movie where silver flying saucers show up and expose brain aliens in in bubble sealed spacesuits with ray guns show up, but it's played legitimately straight and not for comical purpose. You know, we, we, we sci-fi sci-fi horror like we just haven't done. I don't know. Like Alien was like the last good sci-fi horror. Um, oh, Prometheus is pretty decent. It's gone to a different place. Well, I mean, they did that and with Fire in the Sky, right? Is that... I, I, I can't do it. <laughs> but, like, yeah. for Halloween, I don't know, man. Decorate your house with UFOs. Yeah. I want to see it. I think it'd be cool. Like, I think if someone was, like, instead of gothic, I was going to go with just mad scientist. Yeah. Oh, dude, man, like, mad scientist stuff. Like, yeah. we haven't had that in a while either. That's true. You know? 
we haven't had like you know Island of Doctor Moreau. You know, like let's. I guess you could see the movie the Splice fly. is a mad scientist movie. <laughs> oh, Splice! I kind of want to see it. It's uh, yeah. I, I I've read the synopsis. Like I know I know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something. This is kind of a genre movie that can't be made anymore. I mean, it, it it can't be made in the same way a universal monster movie can't be made anymore because it, it just exists in a completely different era of cinema before things completely yeah. change and our sensibilities completely change. And to do it now would just to be nostalgic. Anyway, legit part of Halloween that, you know, I want I want Home Depot to give me like a 14 foot UFO to put in my yard <laughs> or a family of gray aliens to put out a family of gray aliens. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, or like, no, 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 don't even give me gray aliens. Give me like Martians. fly eyed, like crab clawed <laughs> in like a deep sea diver suit. Yeah. Like the robot. Or give monster. me a gorilla suit with a robot head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so Chuck, are you going to watch any of these movies you think uh, for this month to kind of get in the mood? You know what? I might, I might see if I can track down the 50s uh, War of the Worlds and uh, watch that with my kids. That might be kind of fun. Do you know where you could get – would you like to know where you can get uh, that, that version of the movie, Chuck? Uh, um, yes, the Criterion Collection. Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Godzilla's Revenge. I know. Godzilla versus the Sea Monster. Son of Godzilla. All of these – are Criterion films now. <laughs> I know because I own them. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I cool. own Criterion 1000. Um, I think I want, might want to try to find that as well. I also want to watch The Incredible Shrink- Shrinking Man. Yeah. That's, I just remember the ending of that movie being like really haunting. Yeah. I think my mom and I watched, like, it was on TV in a hotel. I think we were at like some toy convention or something. And it was just on like while we were getting ready to go to the convention. And like, I didn't see the whole thing. I just saw that, like the last like 30, 40 minutes of it or whatever. But I just remember that ending. Yeah. Um, and also the invasion of the body snatchers, the original and the Don Siegel version. I mean, both versions are, are great um, with uh, um, uh, Donald Sutherland and oh. um, oh, crap, Leonard Nimoy. Um, but both versions are great and the original, but the original one is still quite scary. And I think it's actually a great, uh, Halloween movie. Oh, I know so. a movie I should watch with my kids. Uh, uh, the thing. Yeah. I right? think the thing from another world. No, the thing with, uh, with Kurt Russell. That, that's oh, a fine movie. Yeah. See. yeah. <laughs> it totally is. That's fine. Right? There's nothing, there's nothing that's going to like give them nightmares. Um, movie, do right? they like dogs at all? <laughs> they do love dogs. Oh, that. good. That's good. Perfect. <laughs> As a disclaimer, I am not showing my children John Carpenter's The Thing. I just want to make everyone clear that I am not doing that. Yeah, oh, we didn't talk about The Thing because it's based on The Thing from Another World, which is based right. on the classic sci-fi novella, Who Goes There? Also right. sort of a body snatcher kind of Well, story. another movie that I really need to see, I've never seen. I've also I've never seen The Thing. I've also never seen They Live, and I feel like oh. that's a hole in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, we're Roddy, we're gonna Roddy, watch Roddy some Piper. movies. We're gonna watch some movies when I when I see you. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, I think I I definitely want to watch. I think I'll definitely watch the Incredible Shrinking Man, War of the Worlds, and uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I think this it's gonna I'm gonna throw that in my rotation. 
this Eric, let's yeah guys like uh, our listeners you should uh, maybe you should let us know or if you're if you've got a halloween movie list going and or if you're trying to think of a halloween movie list you know put, 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 don't forget don't forget our our our, our space faring corner here it's uh it needs <laughs> yeah, some love totally. in our culture absolutely cool ray gun got heck yeah bro father truck bro. thank you thank you for coming out you know it, again it was a it was a tough swim <laughs> And I want to thank our audience for listening. And uh, hey, hey, stay spooky, okay? Good journey. Good journey. <laughs>